Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Left of Straight Show with your host, Scott Fullerton, as we discuss everything under the rainbow sun, from LGBT issues to foodies, entertainment to books. Join us as we talk to some of the most interesting leaders and celebrity LGBT guests and allies on the internet. So grab a cocktail, it's always happy hour somewhere, and enjoy the show. Now, here's your host, Scott Fullerton. Well, howdy, 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 everybody. Welcome to the Left of Straight Show. It is Monday, July 13th, 2020. I am your host, Scott Fullerton, and thanks so much for tuning in today, guys and gals. We have another great week of entertainment talk radio for you. Ten interviews with great celebrities and personalities, both straight allies and LGBTQ personalities. We're going to talk music tonight. It's a music Monday, which we try to have every Monday for you. In just a little while, we're going to start off with our special correspondent, Jay Knight, who is on every other Monday and introduces us to some great independent artists out there. He's got two to share with us tonight. Then up first, I'm going to have an interview with Travis Howard. He is an LGBTQ ally amazing singer-songwriter, has written hits for himself, for Miranda Lambert, for Dirk Bentley, and of course our good friend Levi Christ. He just did a great Instagram Live with Leslie Jordan yesterday, and he is just one of the nicest guys on the planet, guys. So we're going to have Travis on in just a little bit tonight, and then we're going to finish it up with an interview with Joey Suarez. Joey is a singer-songwriter and social media influencer, Joey has a great story to tell. He uh, he was abused as a kid by uh, close relatives and his family, and he talks about that for a little bit with us today, but that has not stopped him from going on to creating some great music, being a great person. He comes from a large family, made his family even closer. It's an amazing story to tell and amazing success story for Joey and he's just a real cool dude. So we'll finish off the night with his interview in just a little bit. I uh, hope you guys had a great weekend. Mine, I was a little under the weather all weekend, not feeling really good. So I didn't do much. I did take mom out to her happy place at the casino for a couple hours yesterday, and that wore me out a bit. But I am back at it today and feeling much better. Thank you for everyone that reached out who knew I was down in the dumps there a bit and just not feeling good. Big shout out to my interns 
who are going to be here all week for me this week. Um, they're doing such a great job. We've had one month of them being an intern. They're on week number five, and they are doing phenomenal. We're talking about the podcast that they're creating as part of their internship um, to get their final grade, so to speak, and they have some great ideas lined up for you. So thanks to all of my amazing interns. If you're not following them on social media, please do. Tell them hi. Um, on Instagram and Twitter, it's at Left of Straight Radio, L-E-F-T-O-F-S-E-R, and the number eight radio. And on Facebook, it's the Left of Straight Radio page. Of course, you can always follow me on social media as well. Mine on Twitter and Instagram is just Left of Straight. And Facebook, it's Left of Straight Show. And my personal profile, Scott Fullerton. So be sure to follow along with that. Of course, today should have been our very first show live from Palm Springs on the Big Gay Road Trip, but we had to cancel that because of COVID. Um, California is on a heavier lockdown today. The entire state is now closed. All bars, all indoor seating at restaurants, all movie theaters. So LA is on a uh, was on a shutdown for a while, and Riverside, where Palm Springs is at, has been on a shutdown for a week and a half, which is why I canceled the road trip. But now the entire state is on lockdown again, rolling back businesses opening. So it was a good move not to go. I'm very bummed. I'm not there with our buddies at the Indulge Resort right now. We hope they're going to be able to stay open um, and not have to close again. But big uh, thinking of my friends John and Sandy at the Indulge Resort in Palm Springs, wishing we were there for our first day of chats. As you know, in uh, Palm Springs, it's a little different. Instead of just individual interviews, I bring about three to five guests on. We do a little roundtable to talk about different things, and then we talk about each of their careers individually a bit. I think I'm going to do some roundtables now that I'm back at home and still bring maybe four or five guests of a certain genre together to talk about how they're dealing with COVID, maybe a group of singers one day, group of actors, group of Broadway, um, foodies, things like that, and see how this is affecting them. So I'm going to try to do that over the next couple of weeks as well. Let's see what's in the news today, and then we will jump in to our Monday Music Minute with Jay Knight, who, as I said, is featuring two great independent artists. we got two songs for you up front and early tonight with them. But uh, let's see, in the news today, very sad news, but expected news. Um, the body of Naya Rivera from Glee was found today at the lake in Ventura County, where she was presumed drowned uh, last week. If you did not see the story, uh, she took her son out on the lake, rented a little boat, pontoon boat, went out on the lake, um, was swimming with her son, pushed her son up into the boat, and somehow did not was able to get up herself. And her son, four-year-old son, said she saw he saw mommy go down and didn't come back up. And he fell asleep, and they found him asleep in the boat with a life jacket on and an adult life jacket that they did not see on Nio when they found her um, in the boat as well. So they did find her body today. Very sad. I'm wishing our friends from Glee, especially Jenna Ushka, who's been on the show many times, and Kevin McHale, who's been on the show once. So sorry for your loss, guys, to the entire Glee family. I talked about it last week. It just has not been a lot of good news out of that cast. With them. We lost Corey Monteith, um, self-inflicted drug overdose, unfortunately. Um, we had Mark Salling, who got in trouble for some sexual problems. 
Um, man, it's just been tough. And then today, it turns out Leah Michelle, who has been getting raked over the coals, of course, on social media for the past month or so, and sounds like rightly so for being not the nicest person to work with while she was on that show, very diva-esque and not nice to a lot of people and getting called out on it for the last month and a half. Um, she tried to apologize, did not do a real good job at it, but she tried. And uh, she has been getting trolled really hard this past week uh, over the Naya Rivera thing, saying it should have been her instead of Naya, and she's responsible. So as of today, she deleted her Twitter account. So Leah Michelle deleted her Twitter account. Um, you know what? Say what you want. Say if she might have been a diva, she might have been a pain in the ass, she probably deserves that criticism. But no one deserves that kind of trolling over a fellow cast member they had no control over. So that's kind of sad. What else going on in the news? Oh, it's kind of funny. My, our good buddy, um, David Reddish, who is the entertainment editor at Queerity, uh, he, if you remember our interview a couple of weeks back with David, we talked about him outing Bert and Ernie as gay and it being big controversy at the time. Well, today he's doing it again, except today it's a Velma of Scooby-Doo. Um, he is officially saying that Velma is gay from the Scooby-Doo gang. According to filmmaker James Gunn, who helmed the 2001 live-action Scooby-Doo movie, and the producer Tony Cervoni, who oversees the new animated series Scooby-Doo Incorporated, they both confirmed they've been trying to help the characters in their work. Gunn said he tried really hard to get Velma to be gay in his 2001 film um, when she was portrayed by actress Linda Cardellini, um, though all the scenes that he did with that were cut. The studio didn't want it that way, and the studio even gave her a boyfriend for the um, sequel to that. So, But according to them, and according to our buddy David Reddish, who we're going to try to have as a special correspondent every other week here on the show coming up very soon on Tuesdays, um, he outed someone again in our cartoon world. David, da- ew, David. Oh, I didn't say that right. That's so bad, Shit's Keep creek restaurant shit's creek reference goodness gracious i rented lips for a monday sorry about that all right guys let's go ahead and jump into it it's a musical monday as i said we're going to have two great interviews for you this little bit but we're going to start off with jay knight our good buddy from buffalo new york who does an independent movie minute every other monday so let's jump right into that and then we'll have travis howard on for his interview and Joey Suarez. I'll be back in a couple of minutes. You're listening to the Leftist Trade Show right here on the Leftist Trade Radio Network. Jay, take it away, buddy. I'm Jay Knight, and welcome to the Monday Music Minute. This week, I'm going to highlight two outstanding indie artists. First up is Kelsey Bovey. Kelsey is a country pop artist from Bristol, UK. Her 2019 debut single, Define Me, charted in the top 30 UK iTunes singer-songwriter charts. She has been nominated for Fair Play Modern Country Female Vocalist and Songwriter of the Year, the awards of which take place on November 7th in the Netherlands. Her newest single, Magnetic, which you are about to hear, was released on May 15th and is, according to Kelsey, a love song about finding the person that is right for you, but scared of falling in too deep because you've been hurt before. Here's Magnetic by Kelsey Bovey. 
Magnetic by Kelsey Bovey. Great voice, excellent songwriting. She's got a bright future for sure. You can learn more about Kelsey at songwith.com forward slash Kelsey Bovey. That's B-O-V-E-Y. Definitely go check her out. Now, on to our second artist of the evening. I Am Dust is a hip-hop artist from Chicago. According to his bio, he translates feelings into music and focuses on inspiring and uplifting his listeners with every bar. He describes his sound as being at the intersection of consciousness, self-reflection, and entertainment. He believes his music will always be something that relates to the average man, painting a picture of feelings and thoughts that actually occur in today's society, whether that's social justice or everyday life. Here's I Am Dust featuring Illy with the song Away.
show. That's a fetish James. That's a weak boat. I am Igloo. This thing Gensu. Test my Jitsu. Come back Hindu. Nutsack. Grapefruit. And a face suit. I need headspace. Damn near nutcase. Move this workplace. Bad that workplace. Told you. Worthless. Tech still worthless. Trying to purchase life that's perfect. And the whip sandwich. With the side of the bathroom. On a day that's romantic. On the owner of the planet, I need to head off that dragon. Wet eyes like a unicorn, in a new human uniform. This ain't got to do with porn, but I still perform. No blue pills, fit full of red pills. Titties fake, ass real, keep a shirt on, I might smash still. Gold chains, I'm a slave still. Why the other shit a maze still? Why my brother in that case still? Pops broke the book, he took a page still. No breaking down while they rebuild. Loki storm with the hammer skills. Hammer time, overtime with the 45. Over mine, broke niggas, no spine. Dropping dimes, all of my obstacles enemies. Bigger tear van, literally. Figured out the bubble's energy. Niggas just wanna be mini me. I don't mind giving recipes, all strategies. Set up out of cheese, but I would never ever give you me. I don't need you to follow me. I've been aware that's a sign of drink. What you gonna do, think of Fill a boat, teach you the fish Bring supplies, won't make your dish There's no way that I can't That was Away by I Am Dust, featuring Illy. Great flow, great beat, lots of energy and passion. Love it. You can learn more about I Am Dust at unitedmasters.com forward slash I Am Dust. That's D-U-S-S. So go check them out and help support indie music. After all, today's indie artists are tomorrow's stars. You can learn more about me and my music at jnightmusic.com. That's the letter J, nightmusic.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. All righty, Jay. Thanks so much. We appreciate it, guys. We are back, and we're going to jump right into our interviews now. My first interview is with the amazing Travis Howard. If you do not know Travis, he is a singer and songwriter, born in the South, living in L.A. and Hollywood the last 20 years. He's an amazing uh, actor, uh, excuse me, amazing artist and ally to the LGBTQ community. Funny as heck, so talented. He's written for himself. His newest album, City and Western, is amazing. And he's also won some pretty nifty awards with songs he's written for Miranda Lambert, Dirk Bentley, and, of course, our book. Excuse me, our buddy Levi Christ. So, very talented guy. We had a fun interview. I didn't go as fun as we could have with him. We just we talked last week actually, and he is such a great ally. Probably could have played with him a lot more, but we're going to have him back really, really soon. So let's go ahead and play one of Travis's songs first. We'll talk to him, and then I'll be back on the other side, and we'll do Joey Suarez a little bit later. You're listening to the Left of Straight show right here on the Left of Straight Radio Network. Take it away, Travis. I 
All righty, friends. That was Leaving Now, written and performed by my next guest off his City and Western album. So don't leave us now because I got a whole lot of talent coming at you here. He's an amazing singer and songwriter. He took a shot on a reality TV show that showcased his talents. And although he didn't win, it led to a collaborating adventure and friendship with his fellow competitor, Miranda Lambert, who also didn't win, by the way. And since then, he's created some fantastic music, both for himself and for other fellow artists, like the aforementioned Lambert, the likes of Dirk Bentley, and, of course, our good friend of the show, Mr. Levi Christ. He's also mm. contributed music to some of your favorite shows, like Girl on the Train and the upcoming television series, Filthy Rich on Fox. Just in our short time getting to know him on the show, he's proved to be a great ally of the community, also a wicked good sense of humor. Please welcome the first time, Mr. Travis Howard. Travis, how are you doing, buddy? Hello. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. I'm excited to have you on. It has been a thrill ride the entire way through. I've just been impressed with your music. I've been on a country music kick, dude. I, it's never been oh, my great. genre. But we have a lot of uh, up-and-coming LGBT artists that have gone to the country field, and it's just kind of tickled my fancy to get back into mainstream country. And uh, I love your stuff, dude. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So I didn't realize that you guys were close with uh, with Levi Christ. Levi is my buddy, um, a very good friend of mine. Del Shores uh, does um, movies called Sorted Lives, and yes, Levi's you know the done whole family. The- yeah, exactly. So really good I friends. There. They were my very first people on the show and been great five years I've been doing this. So, yeah, I saw you were working with him. It's one of the reasons I knew you, honestly. And, uh, yeah, Levi's a good buddy. Good friend. Yeah, he's wonderful. I met him out here in uh, L.A. He, uh, this would have been, oh, so many decades ago in the late 90s. We both moved out at about the same time, and we met each other and instantly started to work together. Um, he's in, He's just mind-blowingly good. That's awesome. Well, yeah, you guys have done some great stuff together. That is for sure. How have you been holding up, my friend? I mean, you're in Southern California now in the thick of everything in round two here. Ding, ding. You and your wife doing good? <laughs> yeah, you know, I got to be honest. I uh, I ran across some really good fortune in that I moved, we were just, you know, just happened to be looking for a place to move because our apartment was too small. And we moved to a, a place in the valley that was just sort of all ours. It's comfortable and happy and all that. And I thought, oh, well, that was great. And then two weeks after that happened, the pandemic hit and everything was shut down. And, you know, everybody, everybody had to stay home. And I was just like, thank God that this is the place I have to stay home. Because <laughs> I would have right. been so, I, mean, oh, I feel goodness. for people in those tiny little apartments, you know, all over. I feel so badly for them that they're, st- you know, for, for however long they had to do it, just sit in little apartments with nowhere to go. That must have been awful. Oh, I still have like six friends in New York City. You know, the size of those apartments there that have yes. just been hating life for the first couple of months. So, yeah, it's, yeah. it's pretty crazy. That's a good good thing to have, to have a little bit of open space there. It's good to have you uh, doing well, feeling good, you and your wife doing good. Talk about your background since it's your first time on the show. You're from a little town I can't even pronounce down south. Yeah. Talk about where you're from and what kind of a kid were you growing up? I was a, I was from a little town called Calibiate Springs, Georgia, and it's uh, it's a tiny, tiny, unincorporated town next to the metropolis of Manchester, Georgia, which had 3,900 people in it. So that's where I went Woo-hoo. to high school. 
Yeah. <laughs> I was raised in a in a pretty strict Pentecostal home uh, in the – I guess I went to high school in the late 80s, so I'm that old. But uh, as soon as I – uh, graduated high school, I set out to the world, joined a band, traveled the U.S. and Europe and Australia and stuff, making $25 a week for probably four nice. years. So that would have been my college nice. years. Yeah, I know. Um, and it was, a, it was like, a, like a religious band. So we would play rock music for these kids and then invite them back on Friday and try to get them to turn to Jesus so weird about that now, but, <laughs> but whatever. Um, <laughs> is what I moved is. to Nashville. Yeah, yeah, it is what it is. I moved to Nashville after that. I uh, lived in Nashville for a long time, uh, singing jingles and stuff, and then headed out to California. So it's very, very southern, and I just landed here with boots and an accent and tried to learn how to make those two things work in my favor. <laughs> There you go. What was it like the first six months? People usually either love or hate L.A., and it usually takes about two years to really get a foothold and know people and stuff like that. What was your experience moving there? Exactly that experience. It's so funny that you have your finger on the pulse of that's the way it goes. I got here, and for me, this was the land of all the movies that I had watched and TV shows that I watched as a kid. And like the movies raised me, you know, cause you're in a small town and I dreamt of like, of being one of those guys. I wanted to be Robert Downey Jr. In less than zero or, you know, obviously Tom Cruise in any Tom Cruise movie. That, that was, right. I showed up and I saw these lights and, and the, the mountains and the open skies and it's always 78 degrees. And I was just like, I'm in a movie right now, so I, I just ate it up. I got a job at a deli in Beverly Hills called Jerry's Famous Deli, and I was a waiter. And, like, every famous person that you can imagine came in, and I was just like the humble waiter to Will Smith or Pete Rose or Jerry Seinfeld or, you know, whoever, just all of them. And I was just Isn't that it, crazy. Oh, man, this is a dream. Yes, it was a dream. Uh, but, yeah, that was my first two years, and I decided, yes, I'm never leaving this place. There you go. I love it. It's awesome. My favorite place when I used to live there, they used to, and you'll remember, it's not there anymore, but the Hamburger Hamlet, just as you started to go into Beverly Hills off Sunset there, that was yeah, my jam, yeah. dude. I, I love that place. Hamburger, and every celebrity would go there because it was right next to Beverly Hills, and it was yeah. just a who's who of anybody, and the food was good, and it was just it was just the place to be, and you're right on Sunset Boulevard. You you walk out, and you can see down into the valley there. So I hear you. That's awesome. Yeah. I love that. And, you know, like Hamburger Hamlet had those old celebrities like uh, Suzanne Plitchett oh, yeah. or, you know, somebody like, or, you know, um, <laughs> um, Hartman. What was his name? Oh, no, I forgot it. Not Phil Hartman. New Hartman. Yeah. No, that was it. That and was Carol cool. Burnett lived right down the way. She was in there on occasion, and yeah, it was uh-huh. it was definitely old Hollywood. That's for sure. Yeah, I that's love that memory. stuff. Very nice. Yeah, the old uh, God Remember Tower Records up there on Sunset. Those were the days. Yes, just hang out in that parking lot. I remember that it Tower well. Records. I spent a lot of time at, and then just down the way later was Virgin Records that I used to spend all kinds of time at. Right. And it just, yeah, just those are magical places. I mean, we are aging ourselves, but whatever. I know it's horrible. Well, you and I are about the same age, and I, I, I hear you. But it was, it was definitely good times. I love it. Uh, my yeah. favorite. Uh, I got since we're on it, and since I'm such a stupid foodie, do you remember? Oh God, I got to remember the name. 
Ladome. Remember Ladome right there on Sunset? I got I sat next to Phil Collins there, just about died <laughs> sitting dinner next to Phil Collins for the night. Dome. I know, uh, but I never went there. It was it was too fancy. I mean, me, I girl I used to date back in the straight old days. Um, we would do <laughs> progressive dinners where we would go to like one place for appetizers, one place for dinner, one place for desserts. So one night we picked up La Dome for desserts and for two desserts and two coffees back in the day, my friend, it was $28, I think, or yeah. $32. But, uh, but it was still calling like next time, so I didn't care. I would have paid 50 <laughs> Right. <laughs> That's so adventurous. You. Like dessert, uh, what, appetizers one place, meal the next place, dessert the next place. We, I got to do that when everything opens back up. It's kind of awesome. I got to tell you, it was fun. We tried it a lot of different places because you try different things and you can have different experiences because each restaurant has some good stuff. But if you try yeah. just a little yeah. bit of it, it's, it makes it kind of a fun adventure and you get to take a nice little drive. What, I don't know what you think is, but like I like um, restaurants for the ambiance. Like that's the thing that's most important. And then food later because right. generally they can do good food. So whatever, it's got to be pretty and the light's got to be nice or whatever. That's the reason to go. Right. And that's what we do. We usually spend one, one of them would be on the beach somewhere. Uh, and one of them would be in town in L.A., West Hollywood, somewhere around there, Studio City. And then one would just be wherever we happen to be at the time. But, yeah, that's what you do. You got to do it for the ambiance there. You got to do it for the yeah. ambiance. That's for sure. And then you're, you're going towards uh, the valley now. So I think you're. What's that restaurant they filmed? God, we're talking way too much about restaurants. That's okay. Yeah. All right, let's get on, make it all about you, 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 my friend. Let's start. I mean, like you said, you, you were playing gigs all around town there, and then someone comes in and catches you and talks to you about Nashville Star, this reality show that you've never heard of before because it hadn't even aired yet, and you weren't too keen on it at first, right? No, you're going so far back. I was, yeah, I was just playing these um, – like Genghis Cohen and little little small acoustic venues and these producers. It was the year after American Idol had debuted, so there was there had been one season of American Idol, and obviously producers were like, "We got to do this for every genre of music." So they made this <laughs> right. country American Idol on the USA Network. They were like, "You want to be on the show?" And I'm like, "I don't think so. That just seems corny, you know." And they they beat me down about it a little bit. Um, finally, the the girl at Sony Records in Nashville. Her name is Tracy Gershon. She's the sister of Gina Gershon. She's called okay. me. She, I'd never, never talked to her. She's called me up on my phone. Travis Howard. I'm like, yeah. And she goes, Gina, uh, Tracy Gershon, Sony Records. Just do the effing show. And I was like, no. <laughs> I'm like, I don't think, I, you know. And she goes, well, let me stop you there. How much are you making now? I'm like, well, at the bar, I, I can make up for $400 a week, um, you know, 10 and, 10 and bar, Tracy. And she's like, you know, we'll pay you more than four, way more than $400 a week. And I was like, ah, okay, I'll do it. And I'm glad I did. <laughs> it changed my life. There you go. I mean, you make this friendship with Miranda there, and you guys have put some beautiful music together. Talk about what made such a good duo with you guys how did your styles mesh so well you know we in that on that show that's of course what kind of established our relationship we all lived in the same house together and uh and so 
we just took to each other. She was from Texas and I was from Georgia, but I lived in California and we had a lot of really similar musical interests. Like we love Dwight Yoakam. We love Steve Earle. We love Patty Griffin. Just, you know, we were not big fans of sort of the mainstream country stuff necessarily that was, that was out right. at the time. And we wanted to do something different. So we just started writing like that. Cheryl Crow, we loved. Oh my God, I'm trying to think of Lucinda Williams. And she is not only an excellent singer, a fantastic writer, but she's a great person. She's generous. She's loyal. She's creative. And we just, I mean, we hit it off hard. And I guess the next three albums of hers, she would go back to that well with me and her and we wrote and wrote and wrote. It was awesome. That is fantastic. And talk about your style of writing. Are you more of a melody guy first? You get something hooked in your head? Are you more a lyric guy or just really depends on the song? It, it kind of always depends on the song. Uh, you know, it, it, I used to write a lot driving. So you'd, you'd just be driving and go, and you're like, oh, that sounds cool. I, all right, I got to record that. And then you go and build on it later. I'm not nice. a in the room guy. You know, in Nashville, like everybody, they they schedule these writing sessions at 10 o'clock a.m. and then at 2 o'clock p.m. every day, uh, all year. Um, that's what happens in Nashville. And that's a little pressure for me. I've done it a few times uh, and had a little success right. with it. But it just feels like a blind date. It's just weird. Yeah, that's a... I didn't know that because that would be kind of like, okay, dance, pony, dance all of a sudden. It's like, I don't know if I can do that pressure. Exactly. That would be pretty hard. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And you've written some amazing songs with some amazing people. What Talk about how do you know if a song is for you? Do you always write in your voice first and then at the end you think, well, maybe it's not for me? Or how do you decide what to keep and what to share with others unless you're hired to write for them, of course? That's really insightful because, um, to be honest, I, I think everybody does it differently, uh, but I feel like that I always have to write for myself first. I write something that I feel like is true, that I feel like is cool or sounds you know, amazing, and hopefully when it's done and I've put my best heart into it, hopefully someone out there hears it. You know, That's why you have a publisher, and someone else goes, I like this song. I want to try to record it. As opposed for like the prescribed, like I tried to write some stuff for like Jason Aldean and some other people, and it never really works out because it just feels like I'm pretending to be them. Some other people are great mm. at it, but I'm just not, I'm not super good at that. Right. No, that's awesome. I kind of wondered how that worked because you have done such great things for so many people. And I just wanted to headspace that because I have obviously no talent in that, but it's just, I would, I would think that I would have to be true to myself and voice first. So that makes sense to me. I like that. Yeah. I and think I, honesty is the thing that, that rings true with all audiences, whether it's movies, acting, writing novels, writing music. I think everybody can see an honest person from a mile away. Right. And the word is thrown around so much, but I think it's really happened here in COVID that authenticity, when you see people zooming from their home and everything and being real, you really know who is behind the artist a bit. And if they, have what it's a, and if they're really that kind of a person that you want to be associated uh, with, so true. I think we've, we've learned a lot, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like they, some, some people, some artists have held up and some have not. That's really an interesting observation. Yeah. It, it's kind of a, it's kind of a interesting time with that. I re, and I really enjoy getting like, I all of a sudden, 
I mean, being the gay boy that I am, I just want to go play pinball in Patty Lapone's basement. But other than that, there's other <laughs> pop singers that I'm enjoying as well, of course. But yeah, I think it's been an interesting time to kind of see how people express their art as stripped down a version as, as it's, it's kind of taken to be. So it just shows yeah, your really, talent really how much this holds up. Well, you've been really vocal and I think very powerful advocate for singer-songwriter, songwriter in particular. I want to talk about the documentary you did with the Ghost Town Troubadours. Um, you've done some great mm. posts on your website about what actually, uh, what it costs to write a song. It's one of my favorite quotes I have. I'm putting it on the description of our show here for people to read. Talk about oh, the you. cost of that and what, then I want to go into the Ghost Town Troubadours because that was an amazing little tour. Oh yeah, thank you. Um, you know, it's it, it, when you get into this conversation, it. Uh, I think a lot of people's eyes glaze over because you know, if you're a music fan, you don't necessarily want to know how the sausage is made. But the truth of the matter is, to be a songwriter, uh, you're you're creating intellectual property when you're writing a song, and you know, sometimes that song can go on to be the story of someone's life. You know. Uh, uh, candle in the wind or you know some song that you had your first dance to at your wedding or that you had your first baby to that those those pieces of work could go on to mean so much to so many people and it used to be that we had a legal right to uh, you know to that to be ours and we could charge the money that we needed to charge for that that work, Spotify and the streaming services came along in an era when the government was really putting burgeoning internet industries so that they could uh, flourish. You know, this was uh, a decade ago or more, maybe 15 right. years ago, I don't know. But um, they, they gave, like, they, they created some loopholes so that places like that, streaming services, could kind of just use uh, intellectual property without really paying what uh, the fair market value was for it. Anyway, fast forward to today, and those uh, those preferences that have been given to those companies has turned into songwriters really not making any money. And I say that because um, I used to make uh, okay, I can tell you the money. I used to make as a writer nine and a half cents per song per album that Miranda would sell. Um, and of course, you have to divide that by the number of writers and whatever. But like. Right. Well, fine. If she if she sells uh, five million records and divide uh, multiply that by nine and a half cents, and it's like, oh, that's great. All right. When people started to stream music, and I know I'm boring you already, <laughs> but just let me finish. No, not at all. Because I have a lot of singer songwriters that listen to this, and they like to they like the deep down for it. Okay. Okay. So, uh, but I'll be quick. So, um, the, when people started to stream music um, on Apple Music or Pandora or Spotify. Generally, as a rule of thumb, what I would make each time you listen to uh, Heart Like Mine or Famous in a Small Town is now five one-thousandths of one penny, meaning that if you streamed it 1,000 times, I would make, uh, what is that, five cents? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, So... That's crazy. That's, yeah. So that's why the Town Troubadours and I got together and we went to Washington and we talked to some lawmakers on both sides of the aisle. And, you know, they both sides agreed that we were right. But it's just an uphill fight now that you've let a giant multi-billion dollar corporation like Apple, like Google, like YouTube, 
um, and Spotify in for free, it's hard to start going, all right, well, now you got to start paying because they've got too much political power now. And, it, it, you know, I'm making a lot less money now. And we're having to pivot. And we're having to go on the road a lot more and try to sell right. T-shirts and beer koozies and whatever to survive. Yeah, it's, it's, it's turned into a strange business. And I, and I do like to talk about it with all the artists I have on because it is such a different thing, especially someone that's been around for a little bit making their music. And I think it's important for people to learn because – People think that people are getting rich off the all these industries, and it's really not happening. Same with small-time no. actors and everything else. You don't you don't see residuals and everything, and for music, you don't see any kind of a royalty or any kind of a streaming fee. So, I think it's important yeah. to bring it up there every time. So, I appreciate you doing that. But it was kind of, of just a. Uh, a fun thing to do and you got to hang out with your friends there you did vegas with one of them for quite a while i didn't know you played vegas that much did you like that gig yeah, it was a fun thing to do uh a friend of mine started doing this uh songwriter series where we just tell stories and play the famous songs that we wrote and we went to mandalay bay and would play that um a lot of fridays a lot of friday nights and that was just like easy and fun and, and they treat you really well in vegas to go out there and play um, before that, I was playing with Brooks and Dunn, the country band Brooks and Dunn from the 90s. Sure. And we played a little stint at uh, Caesars, which also was super awesome. But, like, you know, there's a moment where you're like, am I playing Vegas now? <laughs> like, that's what my career's coming to. I'm playing Vegas. That's funny. Just don't take you to Branson. Stay in Vegas. Don't go to Branson. Yeah. Know you're in trouble. Right. <laughs> yeah. got to have standards, you, you know. <laughs> Uh, some some huge talent, but usually for the sixty plus crowd. So yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's uh, it. <laughs> stay in Vegas as long as you can there. I like it. Oh, that's funny. And you've been, I I teased about it in the opening too. You've kind of lent your your music to a lot of movies and stuff too. And I want to talk about that and your acting. You're kind of going in front of the camera a bit. Is that a fun change of pace for you? Yeah, it was really fun to do uh, both of them at the same time because after Nashville Star. Um, Cameron Crowe had his people call and ask if I would be in a movie of his called Elizabethtown. Now, now, my role ended up being quite small, but, you know, it was fun to do. And I started doing a little of that on the side, like television and uh, things like that. And when I met Leslie Jordan and Tate Taylor at the same time, like 20-something <laughs> years ago, we were all just hustlers, you know. And then as everybody else's star started to rise – Kate would start to use some of my music in his stuff. And, you know, obviously me and Leslie collaborate from time to time on silly things. <laughs> right. Leslie's a blast. He's like, we talked off there. I know him from the sorted family and everything. And he is mm-hmm. just, he just thinks funny. I love people that think funny and the whole world. Yeah, he's old timey. Of course. Yeah. You're right. He's got this old timey sensibility. Like I, it's, it's like we would be sitting on the porch back in the 1975. The stuff he says, I'm like, oh, you just remind me of my childhood. Do you think you see yourself doing more acting in the future? Would that be something you like to do outside of the music area? Yeah. I mean, I'm a terrible actor, but I'd love to do it. Filthy Rich, I have a couple <laughs> of uh, episodes uh, in Filthy Rich where uh, I'm, I'm the music minister, Brother Corley, at this mega church in uh, New Orleans. Um, that was fun, and that was a Tate Taylor uh, uh, project. And he was like, 
come on in, bring your guitar. We'll give you a name. You can, you know, give me some lines. It'll be fun. Kind of a great cast too. I'm a huge Joe McRaney fan, and uh, me yeah, too. It had to be a little bit of fun. Plus, the music is just a bonus on top of it. Talk about what you do for fun now. I mean, I loved your old cover challenge videos and stuff. How do you keep this fun and exciting for you? That's really one of the reasons, the ways that it all stays fun is coming up with ways to humiliate myself on YouTube. Uh, I love it. <laughs> I love it. My, and Brittany's injured. My wife, Brittany, she's so down at any time to like help out the the whole point of those videos is always making me look like a little bit of a, of a buffoon. I don't know why I like it so much. I have this masochistic need to humiliate myself. Have you, have you gone down the TikTok rabbit hole yet? That's where everyone's heading until they decide to close Man, it down. I can't, Are you doing I it? Cannot, no, I cannot. No, I cannot get TikTok. I don't understand it. Um, and then suddenly I'm the old man because I'm like, I mean, I was there with y'all. <laughs> up until Instagram. That was great. But now TikTok, it's just like Instagram. It's I don't know what the difference is. I don't is. understand. <laughs> can I just dance? I can dance on IGTV. Ah. There you go. I've always had the face for radio. I don't like video to begin with, but TikTok is just a whole new animal <laughs> that I don't even want. I'm, I'm kind of hoping they close it down. I mean, not really, but I mean, now they have all that controversy with the China stuff, but that's just another thing that I don't want to have to learn. I refuse to learn. I, I didn't know how to do the YouTube. You're doing pretty damn good on the YouTube there. I love tech, but it's just, you know, it's not, it didn't feel like um, a step forward. Now, do you still go in the studio when you want to record? Do you, do you kind of make a place for yourself in this new home you have? Or where do you where do you find yourself doing most of your writing these days? Um, most of the time I spend in the studio here at the house. Some great studios that I still use in Nashville. Sound Emporium is one of my favorites. It's a very historic mm-hmm. And there's a great place out here in Atwater Village called Shark Tank Studios that I record at all the time. Uh, I know a lot of really interesting musicians that live out here that are just fascinating people. So anytime I get a chance to work with them is a good day. That's awesome. And you've already written for so many great people, obviously. But is there anyone on your bucket list you'd really like to write for? And who might you want to write for you? Someone you want someone to write you a Oh my God! There's a okay. There's a couple of writers that I'll, my heroes and that nobody knows. And so I'm going to take a moment to just brag on them. There's a guy named Ryan Beaver in Nashville. Just such a good writer and such a good like producer. I, he's a bucket list guy. We've known each other and talked, but we've never worked together. Waylon Payne. I don't know if you know him yet, but you should. Uh, he's in Nashville right now. He's, uh, I mean, he, I wish I could be him. That's all. I mean, I've tried to write with him. Mm. He's not successful. I just want to be him. He's, uh, I mean, incidentally, since we're talking about it, he's gay. He's the son of Sammy Smith, who was a giant country superstar in the late sixties. He's an amazing artist. Yeah. Those are my, that would be awesome. I'll have to, you'll have to introduce me to that. I would love to bring him on. That would be kind of, I would love to be on. Yeah. Nice. And what are you doing to, are you finding yourself really creative during this downtime? Or are you just trying to get this house together and enjoy time with the wife? Or how, how are you spending the last couple months here? I've got like projects and projects and projects. After, um, after Filthy Rich was over, we finished filming it. We had, we have a full season and it was great. And I made a lot of friends with some of the actors on the show who, as it turns out, 
are really successful Broadway actors. There's a guy named Aaron Lazar. There's a guy named Corey Cott and some others who have had long, long careers on Broadway. And so we're doing a project together of like Broadway lullabies that, you know, the Broadway parents singing songs that they would sing to put their children to sleep uh, at night. Cause we thought that'd be a nice calming project to do during this, during the pandemic, things like that. I mean, I've got little projects coming out of my ears. Nice. You guys have to come back to that. Corey Cott took over the role in Newsies, which was one of my favorite musicals on Broadway. Yeah. So I know him well. But that's a that's an amazing. I don't think that's ever been done before. The lullabies, but that's a great idea. Yeah, that's what we were thinking. Yeah. It like maybe nobody had thought of it of it in that way. And so we're doing these really light uh, instrumentation with just like soft voices to literally put you to sleep. Kelly Naughton is is a part of the project, and we're just adding more and more people. That's amazing. Add Jeremy Jordan too. She he just has a new kid, and his voice is amazing as well. That's a great project. I'm so excited for you. You'll definitely have to come yeah, back when that gets closer to fruition. Love to have yeah, you guys on promote the heck out of that because that is such a great idea. Yeah. Well, super duper. Um, what else do we have to share before we start wrapping this up, my friend? Anything else we need to be on the lookout for? Um, no. I've been. I, you know, I, I can tell you that I've, I've got a lot of hope for this period. In American history, all of the disasters that have befallen us, and it feels like from the from the pandemic to all of the racial unrest, I feel like it's like we're being squeezed out so that something mm. new can come into our lives. I think American life is going to change fundamentally in the next year, and I'm excited for it. I don't feel scared. I don't feel gloom and doomy about it. I think we're becoming better people. It's just it's going to take us a little bit of a shit storm to get there. <laughs> well said. No, I agree a hundred percent. I think uh, a lot of my friends feel that way. I think that what some people are seeing as a horrible time is actually a rebirthing time where it's going to be even better than this. And we're going to come out on top of it even better. So I, I love the way you think and yeah. from your mouth, my friend, that's awesome. Let Thank everyone you. know where they can find you, give them your website and they can find all your social and all your songs from there and uh, let, let them know where they can become as big a fan as I become, my friend. Well, thank you. Um, I'm all over Instagram, Travis, at Travis Howard. There's TravisHoward.com where you could get the CD if you want, the actual CD, City and Western. Or you could go to Spotify or Apple Music or any of those places and just stream Travis Howard. Just stream me. Stream my crazy, but buy it. Buy it. Yeah. Try to buy it from somewhere cool. first. I like people to buy it. And you can stream for your friends. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, stay on the line for me, Travis. It's been absolutely amazing talking to you. We're going to play out Same to, you, to uh, Miranda Lambert's song, You Wrote for Famous in a Small Town, another one of my favorites here. You're listening to Left of Straight Show right here on the Left of Straight Radio Network. They say life is so much sweeter Through the telephotos and the fame Around here you get just as much attention Cheering at the high school football game
go a little Miranda Lambert top chart and hit there courtesy of our new friend Travis Howard who wrote that amazing song guys uh, welcome back to the show Travis thanks so much for coming on he is an amazing artist amazing singer songwriter and as you can tell just a funny guy and very very cool um, new good friend of the show I'm so excited to uh, have him on hopefully often So we're going to keep continuing on now. My next guest, Joey Suarez, has created a fantastic new song with a co-writer. We're going to talk about in the interview. And uh, he has been a great social media influencer as well as a singer-songwriter himself. He's acted. He's modeled. He's done it all. And with that handsome face, you definitely should. But he had uh, an early story story to tell um, about abuse in his family. And I was so happy that he was willing to be brave enough to share it on the show. So we're going to talk about that. But let's go ahead and start out with this brand new single he has out here. And uh, we'll finish up from there and I'll finish on the other side. So guys, you're listening to Left of Straight show right here on the Left of Straight radio network. Take it away, Joey Suarez. Alrighty, guys, we are back. That was changing history from my next guest. He's an amazing singer, actor, entrepreneur, advocate, and influencer. I'm so excited to have him on the show. He is much more than a pretty face, although he's known for his modeling and respected for his advocacy and sharing his truth and growing up around sexual assault. He also has his great work in the corporate world with some leading brands and markets to creating his own brand through his social media, music, and led with passion and energy in believing in himself and his art. He's earned millions of plays and views worldwide with tens of thousands of followers on social media and streaming music platforms. So let's pull back the curtain a bit and get to know the very handsome and talented Mr. Joey Suarez. Joey, how you doing, buddy? I'm good, Scott. How are you? Fantastic. Thanks for taking the time to call in, my friend. How are you holding up over these first three or four months of COVID quarantine weirdness we are experiencing? I am an emotional roller coaster, which I'm sure everyone else is too. Um, It's been stir crazy for me, really. I have so much brewing underneath that I 
I'm, I'm excited that I get to focus and work on. So the next, all these songs coming on the next big releases are going to be bigger than ever. Um, but I'm sad because I didn't get to go on my, on my world tour, which is like my first big world tour. I'd never been on a world tour before. And I guess I won't until next year. So that's just the way life is, Scott. You can only take it with strides. There you go. You got to do what you got to do. And yeah, that would have been exciting. I mean, you've already traveled forever. I know on the pride circuit last year, you were all over the country and everything, but a world tour would be amazing. Do you have any spots that you're particularly looking forward to going that you haven't been to before? I really wanted to go to Carnival in uh, Brazil, which was an invitation for us. And we were invited to Australia, which is somewhere I'd never been. I've only ever been to Mexico and uh, like one little portion of Canada. So I've not been to a lot of places. It was really exciting to think that my music was going to give me a chance to see the world. Um, but, you know, pandemic's also important. These things do happen. And it's just kind of one of those moments where my team and I had to sit down and rethink everything we had been planning for two years. Um, and then kind of deciding <laughs> deciding what our new plan was. And our new plan is, is amazing. It's, it's like I can't even begin to put to words. I had to make a bunch of music instead, how awesome everything we've been doing while sitting at home. So I'm really excited to talk to you about that. Well, that is fantastic and such a great attitude to have because there is no right or wrong way to do a pandemic. We're just doing it as it comes along. So good on you for getting that talent out there and using it to create Let's talk, uh, start with a little bit of backstory for a moment, and I want to go into a little deeper, I mean, you have a pretty heartfelt story to tell in a little bit, but talk, just talk about briefly where you grew up and what kind of a kid were you growing up? I grew up, uh, originally I was born in Miami, Florida, which was a fun place to be. Not really. Uh, when you're a young kid in Florida, it's mostly meant for old people, so I wouldn't call it kid-friendly <laughs> exactly. But outside that, I had a good time. I grew up in a very large family. There was like up to 25 people living in my house at a time. Um, and that was normal. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I'm one of, yeah, um, half of us were just the kids. I'm one of 12 children. So just as children, we took up most of the space. And then plus my parents and a few of them were married with kids. So it definitely added up over time. And it was a very interesting uh, way to grow up, I would say, only because there's a lot of uh, individuality that happens within community-like families. And so every single one of us came out very individualized by the situation, um, which I think is very rare because you meet a lot of families where you kind of feel like you're meeting cookie cutter children. Um, and I don't think, not that I'm raging on anybody, so parenting, I'm just saying I think I was very lucky to have come out very, very individualized at a very young age. So, I mean, I was out of the closet by 14. I was just like, nope, I'm going to ride this rainbow straight into the golden pot. And I did. <laughs> and, it, you know, and nobody was surprised. They were like, oh, yeah, we know. I was like, okay, well, I'm just making an announcement here. So that, that was I just kind it. of my experience. Yeah. And then I moved to Texas. Texas is the next stop. That's where I came out of the closet. But I would say that I spent about 13 years in Florida. That's the majority of my childhood. Nice. And, and so you came out to yourself relatively young. Where did you think you kind of first found your LGBTQ tribe? I don't know if I really have yet. Um, I mean, as a person, I'm still growing. I'm still, you know, I don't mean, it's not me dogging on the community at all. I think it's just like, I don't really believe there's like a tribe, like the whole community is my tribe. And as an individual who's gone through a lot of different, you know, phases in my, not a lot of different phases in my sexuality, I've had a very backwards sexuality, meaning I kind of came out and, and very immediately thought I was, I was gay and then over time, right, you know, I realized that I thought women were also beautiful. So I wasn't, I, I started considering the fact that I was bi. 
Regardless, though, I do feel like my tribe is anybody who has that fluidity about them, who's open to the idea that anybody could be gay for any reason. It's not something that has to be definitive or because of abuse or because you just felt it or like there's every reason in the world to be gay. You just have to meet the person that has the right reason. And that's the hardest part is communicating with someone to believe them. So I don't think that we live in a world where we should look at each other as if we're in part of tribes or LGBTQ plus all of the above, like, I, I think we're slowly giving in to the problem by segmenting ourselves. And the, the real solution to the issue is just believing that everybody has the ability to be fluid. You know, like, if, I, if in 10 years I decide that I want to marry a woman and have kids, I should have the right to do that. And I shouldn't feel judged for it either. And it should go the same for any man who's had kids who decided to be gay. You know what I mean? Sexual fluidity, I think, is, is really where we should be headed. Well said. I do like that a lot. Very well. All right. Well, I want to go back. And like I said, I wanted to hit on your story a bit because you came out very publicly at 15 talking about some abuse that you were subject to. And I think it's a strong to- story to tell. And I appreciate you being so brave at that age to talk about it, to continue to talk about it. Tell my listeners a little bit about your story and what, what kind of got you through it all. You know, I'll preface this with family. You know, what gets you through a lot of things is family, and who your family is is who you choose. So if you're someone who feels like you don't have family, you do. You just have to choose them. And who you choose is, you know, how well your family helps you. So given all that fact, as a child, I mean, I, I was unfortunate to be born into a situation where my family was were immigrants. You know, we, they, they come from Cuba. My, my dad came from Cuba. My mother came from Argentina. When you come from those kinds of countries, you bring a lot of baggage. And in my family, there's a long history of not just sexual abuse, but sex trafficking and, and all sorts of, you know, child abuse and that kind of stuff is very, I hate to say common, but it is common. And, and, and so my situation wasn't like I was just born into it. I mean, this comes from generations and generations of very poor people being taken advantage of. In my situation, when I was brought into the picture, I was sadly abused by my grandfather from, you know, about eight years of my life. So were my, a few of my other siblings, you know, I won't say who, cause that's their business. But at the same time, that was a situation we were in. And at the very same time, my own father was convicted of uh, molesting and raping my sister. So it kind of just became this family affair where one half of us were a bunch of rapists and the other half were a bunch of like defenders. And, and it became right. this, like, beautiful, and I know that's really dark, so we're getting to a very beautiful part. And the beautiful part was, as a family, as a bunch of children, we all united against, you know, our adversaries, these men in our lives who were supposed to be protecting us, and, and we did whatever it took to protect each other. And that kind of experience growing up, even at a very young age, it individualizes you in ways you could just never imagine. I knew exactly who I was by the time I was eight. I knew exactly what I wanted by the time I was 10. Everything we're doing today was something I thought about that whole time because it was the only thing that kept me through it. And all of my brothers and sisters took upon themselves musical instruments, academics, whatever we could do to make ourselves not feel broken. And I think together we really helped each other get out of a terrible situation. My mother being uh, the saint that she is on this earth, you know, was able to help all of her kids avoid being addicts, avoid being, you know, so many things that people in that situation usually become. And I'm happy to say, although they do have their, you know, their own issues, they are as normal as they could ever be. 
And I think that that's, it speaks power, not just to them, but to my mother and to my art, really, because that is where a lot of this comes from. And I'm not shy about the subject because I'm not shy about my art. And if anyone really wants to understand mm-hmm. what I'm talking about most of the time, it does come from this. I mean, I, I use art to heal. I use my family's perspective and I use watching them heal and, and wanting them to get past so many similar things that they've been through to help myself. And I want to share that with the world. I want them to understand the power of music, but really I want them to understand the power of family. And I think that's, that's really what I carry in my heart every time I get on a stage or I take a call with you or, you know, anything I do out in public, really. I love that, Joey. Thank you for sharing that. Now, are you able to, are you guys still close? I mean, 12 people to get together. I can't get together with my two brothers that live halfway across the country. How do you guys all stay in touch? I mean, it is it is not an easy feat, um, but we make <laughs> do where we can. I, we're very, very close. All my brothers and sisters and I um, are always a phone call away from each other, no matter who is calling. And I think that's just a beautiful, I, I notice with a lot of large families that that isn't common. Um, but for us, it's a very, very, very important part of how we grow up. And it's a very important thing that we try and communicate to all 16 nieces and nephews that exist in this world. And we want them to take the same values that we built together with into their own families. And, and I think that that's just a really, it, it's one of my favorite parts of my brothers and sisters. They've, I'm literally a small piece of every single one of them that makes up who I am. So I couldn't lose a piece of me. It just doesn't make sense. So well said. That's awesome, dude. Very cool. Let's talk about the impetus music. I mean, you do everything from EDM to great sounding. And like I said, I told you I love Alive, which we're going to play at the end here. It's a little more stripped down. But you actually started out as classically trained with opera and choir. Talk about the origins of your music career. (laughs) Oh my God, everything that I learned that doesn't matter anymore. Let's talk about that. So, I mean, yes, I, I grew up in a Mormon family. Uh, just to add to the, the whole story, I was Mormon when I grew up. They taught, they teach you when you they find out that you can sing that you should be a part of the Tabernacle Choir, which is like the highest, like the greatest honor in the, in the Mormon church as a singer. Um, which at the time I thought was pretty awesome because they are pretty freaking awesome. But I realized over time that I just didn't fit in. My voice was just different. Everything about it just wasn't choir music. It wasn't even musical theater, although I tried that. It wasn't even opera. Like, I I wanted to. I was loud. But that doesn't count for what they wanted. (laughs) And so over time, (laughs) right, so over time I just kind of felt myself slowly pushed out of all these industries and kind of just barred off from success because I wasn't like everyone else, which was literally the reason. And I kept getting pulled into film and into EDM music. And I was like, oh, I don't know. I like, I love EDM music. I love to dance. I was like, but that's not really something I share with the world or at the time really had any platform. And I decided that as an accountant <laughs> that I was going to um, kind of, yeah, at this point, I kind of went from being an opera singer to being a musical theater singer to moving to New York to try to be on Broadway to realizing Broadway was stuck in the 70s. Um, or maybe even the 50s. I'm not even sure. Broadway is stuck in time, y'all. Like, they need to get with the fucking program. Um, and right. yes, I know this puts me in a bad position. I'm friends with them. They know how I feel. Anyways, I've talked myself out of some jobs. I didn't even know until last year, but let me tell you. Anyway, so Broadway, when I realized that wasn't my thing and that I, was, I didn't really have a place there, as an accountant, I was like, okay, I met a friend, one of my dear friends, Moses, who actually moved here to L.A. He's an awesome dude. 
um, he talked me into doing a song. He was like, I'll help you. And I was like, oh, okay. So I made a song. And at the time, I was working at a tax firm that did all the taxes for a lot of major entertainers in New York City. So I already kind of knew these people. They, they saw my twink ass sitting across the table just kind of doing their taxes. So <laughs> I was already kind of friendly enough <laughs> where I could push across my ideas and ask for help. And a lot of them offered to help me. And even my boss at the time just allowed me to do whatever I needed to make my dreams come true. And before we both knew it, I was, you know, on a stage in front of 500,000 people and on the face of Huffington Post. I was like, what just happened? It, it was definitely <laughs> a crazy time, but I, I, you just never know. And I tell people there, and people are like, oh, wow, like, didn't you want to be on Broadway? Like, didn't you want to be an opera star? And I was like, I was like, yeah, no, I, I definitely did. I was like, I'll probably never do opera. I was like, because I just don't have the training anymore. But as far as Broadway, I was like, that's definitely still on the table. Like, it's just not a straightforward path for me. I thought it was, but at the, at the end of the day, getting to become you know, an EDM singer and artist and a songwriter and a billboard artist, you know, all these things build up the resume to someone who gets to go on a Broadway stage and originate a role and be, be an actual star. I don't want to go to New York and be a company member for 10 years. That's not who Joey Suarez is. And so I had to find my way to who that person was so that I could find my way back to who I wanted to be. I didn't know who that was at the time, but I knew where I wanted to be. So it's not that I had the wrong perspective. I just hadn't grown the fuck up yet. And that's just, that's just life, ladies and gentlemen. That is just life. So stop trying to control your destiny. Just let it happen. Go where your heart tells you. I promise you, if it really meant to be there, you'll find your way back. Nice. Nicely said. And when did you first start creating your own art? When did you start writing? Um, did it start with just sounds? Did it start with the words? What is your writing process even this day? Does it kind of a little blend of both or to get the hook? Oh, my God. It's it's a change. Um, at first, when I started making music, I didn't have a lot of structure. I mean, you come from opera music and musical theater, although you're trained classically and you can do a lot of, like, you know, play the piano and stuff like that, it's not the same as making electronic music. <laughs> so what I did at first is I found some really amazing beats online by some really incredible producers, and then I bought them out of those beats and sang over the top of them, which is called top lining. It was the only way I really had to create music at the time, but it gave me my first song, High in the Sky, which turned out to be an amazing success. So I felt really good about that. I felt really good about the process, but I realized that I had a long way to go on a writing, on a, on a writing way <laughs> because most artists can produce like four, five, six, seven songs in a, in a week, and, and that's just writing it. Then they produce it over a couple of weeks, but I realized that I wasn't there yet. So over the last couple of years, I went from writing like one song over six months to writing six songs over one month. And that just comes from oh, a whole wow. different write, writing style. And then I didn't know what a studio was. Now I have a studio. Then I didn't have friends to teach me and help me. Now I have a lot of amazing, incredible friends and incredible team. It was just such a different journey, you know. So the, the music that you hear now these days, outside Changing History and Never Coming Down, which are the first two, like, to the first two songs to come of this new team, this new process, this new writing style for me personally. It's not quite yet the new me. I love that you love Alive. Alive I wrote two years ago and I sat on it because I didn't want to let go of it until a label was willing to back me up. And I was lucky enough that being on tour last year gave me the opportunity to have a label to back me up. But the truth is I haven't actually released all the music I've been writing since then. All the music that I've released 
that I wrote since then has just been never coming down. And um, what I just put out, Changing History, which is what everyone just heard. Which are duets with somebody who, by the way, Jackie Nelson is amazing. She produced both those tracks. She's an amazing co-writer. She's taught me so much as a person and as a friend um, and as an artist that I've been putting together everything in the background for this whole new album that comes out this next month, I mean, the next month and a half. That is just, I took all my old music. I took everything, all my old music, completely re-sang it, completely redid it. I went back and changed the, I basically took the old writing style, which is the question you asked me. <laughs> and I right. redid it the way that I learned, I learned to write now. And I was like, this is how it should have sounded from the beginning. And then I put a twist on it. And for me, that was one of the most exciting moments of my artistic life because I, this whole time, never really felt good about anything I put out. Alive, I originally hated. I actually did not like that song. It wasn't until I showed it to a bunch of other people who were like, this is incredible, that I considered putting it out but at first I actually did not like it I didn't know how to think about myself in that way and so to be fast forward two years later it's still on the charts and we're having this conversation and and I have this full realization of who Joey is it's exciting to go back and rewrite everything in the way that I wanted it to be then so I'm really excited that you like all changing history I love that you like alive I'm even more excited to show you what this next album means to me, just because I think it's probably the most true representation of who I am as a person and where I'm headed. And, uh, you know, I can go on and on and on. I should stop. <laughs> well, I'm excited for you as well. I think it, I think it's great to be able to do it. And I'm excited you're actually doing an album. Talk about what an album means to you. I mean, you've been in music long enough now. You see the music business changing every day from streaming individual songs to an album really creates a compilation of what the artist is trying to put out. What do you feel this album means to you or what it says about you? Well, I'll tell you this. This is not a conventional album. We are not doing something that anyone's ever done before. I'm not playing by the rules. And quite frankly, I do not care. I, what I'm doing with this album is I've taken everything I've learned from social media and every single thing that I've ever been told about the way that my music's consumed online. And I decided to create an album that catered to that. People are like, what does that mean? I'm like, oh, it means so much. Particularly, <laughs> I don't want to say too much. Oh, God, I don't want to say too much, but I want to say everything. And I'll say this. It's an album completely based on EDM music and shuffling. It may be called The Shuffles. Oops. Um, I may have been tagging it and everything. It may have already been showing up on a lot of really big TikToker and Instagrammers posts in the last week or two <laughs> because what I've been doing is I created not just, it's not just an album. Like where I'm not talking 45 minutes of three minute songs that kind of lead you through a journey. I'm talking whole, like 10 minutes of one minute songs that give you something to live for. And everyone's like, what does that mean? I'm like, look at TikTok. People can live in 15 yeah. seconds. So imagine what we yeah, can do with the minute they give you. I love that. And that's kind of where I decided my music needed to be. And people on TikTok have been so receptive to my music, to my, just, I guess, my dancing now. So that it just felt like the right move. I want to keep calling it an EP, a mini EP. But at the end of the day, it's going to probably be an album. And how I'm going to release it is not going to be generically how albums are released. But I'm calling it an album because I'm trying to break a norm. I'm trying to get people to understand that music is not consumed the same way anymore, especially because of the pandemic. There's no cars. There's no clubs. 
there's barely people in cars, and you're certainly not sharing the radio that much right now. So my point right. being is you're reaching a lot less people in clubs and on the radio. That's not where your music needs to be anymore. The game has changed. And if you're not adapting and if you're not jumping on this train right now where you're giving the people who have nowhere to go to consume music, then you're going to get lost. And that's kind of how I felt about the whole situation. And I just felt like compelled in my own, <laughs> my own shoes to create this album, this mini mix EP, this, this TikTok driven social media inspired dance album for social media. It's not for the radio. It's not for the clubs. This is for social media. And that's kind of the point. And I'm excited to voice my opinion on this because I'm sure labels are not going to like it. But that's just kind of the point, though. Labels aren't even that great at marketing artists these days anyway. So for me, right. this is just playing into my, my own strengths. This is playing into you know, my, the millions of people who've seen me go viral in the last few months. I'm like, this is me paying tribute to them. I don't need to take what they've given me and then throw it into a radio station and throw it into a club Alive has been amazing in clubs, but sadly, there's no clubs right now. So how do I reach those fans? I'll find them on social media. Right. And that's, that's kind of what this whole year has turned into. I've just taken what was supposed to be a world tour and turned it into this amazing album that I'm hoping is going to reach all the same people and hopefully a hundred times more who would have appreciated this if, even if I was on tour. And that's kind of the purpose. That's the point. That's the that's my whole drive right now. And that's the whole, I guess, philosophy of this album. I just said it. I, oh, I think being, it's a smart way to do stuff. it. I mean, you've been killing it on social media. How did you, is it something that came natural to you for it? How do you find that kind of platform came to you? Was it easy for you to adapt to it? Is it kind of what your style's been all along? Or is this something you've really studied? Because you've really taken it by storm and helped other brands and everything else as well. How, how have you been adapting to it so easily? I appreciate that. I wish it was easy. Social media makes it look easy. And I'll admit, I try to make it look easy as well. I'll spill the beans in the sense that at the beginning, I kind of thought I knew what I was doing. I had hoped that I understood how I was achieving all the, all the numbers that I was. Um, but over time, as those numbers and I became very self-conscious of losing the status that I gained, basically, it was for nothing. It came, my original status came from the music going viral on Spotify, the Huffington Post article, and being an absolute nobody who took his shirt off on stage. You know, that's the truth. <laughs> that's just what happened. Those abs um, have helped. We've got to get those abs to probably help. But your talent is there, my friend. <laughs> You're so sweet. But... Uh, but I did struggle at first with having a very large fan base that only cared about me being shirtless. And I was wanting to be known as a singer, not to be known as Joy the Model. So as I progressed through the motions of kind of getting through those fans and trying to represent myself to all these people in the best way possible, what do you say? It became a struggle to take control of my social media, right? I, I, I was like, fine, I'm going to stop posting these shirtless pictures, but now nobody likes my photos. Fine, I'm going to post this video of me singing, but now nobody watches my video and I look like a fraud. Like, what is this? Why me? This sucks. Like, and it really ate away at my person. And I really struggled for a little while with social media and became one of those people who read every comment and got hurt every time someone called me self-obsessed or ugly mm. or white. Ugh. Like, it just like, I was like, no, I was like, I'm Hispanic. <laughs> they put me in bleach. I was like, but end of story. I was like, I just, I just wanted to kind of take control and reach the people who didn't feel that way about me. Right. Well, I was like, how do I find these people? So the business side of Joey, hashtag accountant, kind of just 
began to research. I mean, I basically schooled myself. I dug so deep into the internet and talked to so many other people who were doing what I thought was the right thing. I eventually uncovered some of the most amazing tools that I can and can't tell you. Some of them that are good, good and bad, depending on who your person talking to me about it. And they really helped me understand what other people were doing. And it helped me take control of my social media. Eventually, through business, I learned how to use Facebook ads and TikTok ads and Pinterest ads. And I, I, I built a whole bunch of facets of skill sets that not a lot of people had. And that really right. gave birth to my ability to control social media. And then once I kind of understood how money works through ads and through viral marketing and through you know, viral hack marketing, I was like, I'm just going to start helping other people. And I did. I helped all my team, my entire team. I helped do their social media. Most of the people who I've dated have done that. I've done it for. It's kind of something that I've taken upon myself to share with other people. And it's not really a secret. I do get paid for it. But some people I do it for free. Because at the end of the day, social media isn't that hard. And I think that what I would advise anybody these days who's trying to take control of their social media, if you're going to do Instagram or Facebook, learn how to use Facebook and Instagram ads. The organic reach on both of those platforms does not exist. If you want to spend no money and reach a lot of fans, TikTok is amazing. Do it now before it's banned in your country. Um, <laughs> outside that, I would that, say. Yeah, you, go ahead. Yeah, and outside that, I would say if you really want to get, the game, get ahead of the game, get on Pinterest. Um, and people are like, what, what about Pinterest? I'm like, well, just look it up and you'll figure it out. But I'm telling you, that's where it's headed. I think that a lot of my social media game, it really just comes from business. I didn't really understand what was happening. I could just lay by the pool and feel pretty for hours because I got a thousand likes based on the picture of my left foot. That's not what gets me money. That doesn't pay me bills. That doesn't make me actually feel good about my music and the people that I have to pay because of that. So it definitely took a business mindset to take on social media like a business. And that's why I help businesses because they're a business too. That's great, man. I mean, it's, and I think people need to learn it. I mean, there's like, I'm an older guy and it's hard for me. I've been doing this show for five years out of pure love. But like you say, unless you really know the business part of which I've never taken the time to learn, you're not going to grow organically. It's just, an, it's too hard to do anymore because I think it's been algorithmed or, or gamed. So unless you know the system, it's really tough to do. So it's great that you're able to help others that really need that high profile or are looking for it. And it's worked so well for yourself. And congratulations, man, because it really is, it, it gives your content out there. and You have good content to give. So that's the important thing. If you're giving shit content, that'd be something different. But you're giving some great music and some great fun. And I think you got to be proud of that, my friend. I appreciate that. I, I'm glad to be at a stage where I can confidently say that I have control over these things, but also I'm just, I'm excited to be at a stage where I can help other really amazing artists who like deserve to be independent, not controlled by their labels who are pretty cool. I've had some pretty interesting experiences with labels. I love the label I'm with, but most of the labels I've worked with have been pretty mean. So it's definitely one of those moments where I feel like I'm liberating some of these artists who still have millions of plays and millions of streams and millions of followers, but they are, they are tied. They don't understand how to work their business. And I'm like, look, it's this easy. And it's not, it's a lot of work, but it is this easy. And they definitely sometimes take it and run with it and sometimes become Vogue photographers and then others don't do anything. So I want these people, I, I definitely put my heart out there and hope they take my advice, but I don't expect it. You know, definitely not. I'm not going to hate you because you didn't heed my advice on social media. In my opinion, every single person in this world has two viral videos on their phone. They just haven't posted them yet. So if you tried hard enough, this will happen for you. And you just have to be ready for that moment. You don't want to be a one-hit wonder. Then be prepared for that moment. 
know what to do when it happens, and then you won't. And that's kind of a, something if you're when you end up in Hollywood, you realize it's kind of, there's the two sets of celebrities here. There's the ones that stay and the ones that go. And the ones that go had no other reason to stay. (laughs) There you go. And that's just because that's life, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Yep, that's so true. Well, when you write your book, man, send the first copy to me. I need the help. I love it. (laughs) That's amazing. All right, well, let's talk about this song, um, Changing History, because you and Jackie are doing some great stuff with it. You've really decided, talk about the origin of the song and what it's kind of transposed into, because you guys are doing some great work with it. So talk about that for a second. You're so sweet. Yeah, and um, she's, she's going to totally rail me. She's like, you talked about the shuffle before you talked about changing history. I'm like, I'm sorry. Uh, she's also on that <laughs> one, too. But anyways, <laughs> on that note, changing history was, is actually mine and Jackie's baby. It's the closest thing to a baby we'll ever have together. And... <laughs> It's actually, I think it's the first song we wrote together. I'm pretty sure it might be the second. I don't remember. They kind of got jumb, jumbled up over time, but it's, <laughs> it was a song that we wrote for, for pride and it came, we wrote it actually right before I just met her, but I was such a fan that I was like, Hey, I'm, you know, doing an hour long set at Vegas pride at the end of October. Do you want to write a song and perform with me? We're opening up for Bob the drag queen. And she was like, Fuck yeah. I was like, oh my God, she's down. And no shit. I put her on such a time crunch. She was able to not only write the song, but she taught herself to produce it. And she didn't oh, awesome. always know how to produce, but, she's never, but she had never actually used her producing skills to produce the song that she wanted to put out. And she just we blew, she blew my mind. She blew her own mind. And we were just like, did you just do that? She's like, I think I did. <laughs> and... Uh, it was amazing. And I was just, I was blown away. I was like, you just, that was, you just discovered a whole new talent. So changing history was kind of like the birth child of her talent and like our friendship. And we have wrote it back in October of last year. We performed it on stage at Vegas pride, which was a beautiful experience uh, for both of us. And then we held on to it. We were just kind of like, that was such a special moment. We wanted to make sure it came out at the special time. And I think we both knew it. we were waiting for Pride, but I, we both did not know, obviously, all these things would happen this year. Right. So to have Black Lives Matter movement come into play during Pride Month, I felt very lucky to have a piece of music that was appropriate, as opposed to self-promoting and indulgent, which is most of my music. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we decided that that was going to be the that was going to be our message and that was going to be what we talked about and that was going to be even though I just talked about the shovel um this <laughs> that we were going to make sure that this song was the the message for the for Pride Month when it came to us because that was where the message needed to be and we did, we actually are donating every single dollar and dime of royalties from the song to Black Lives Matter which is awesome. But also, it's just we we just wanted to carry the message, and it gave me something to put out and to be proud of while I'm working on the album. And then hopefully, when the album comes out, it'll be a little more appropriate to be a little more self-indulgent. Indulgent. But for now, we just we want to make sure that every time we're obviously on press and talking about these things, that we're talking about the right thing, and that our music's carrying the right message to the right people. And so that's kind of where we're headed. That said, I will say the song is based on pride, but we do hope that it speaks to everyone in the situation. So, yeah, what I said. Oh, go ahead. What are you going to say? And then I'll tell you something exciting. No, just saying the lyrics are very are very reminiscent for both, and I think they translate really well. So I think you've done a great thing there. 
um, by taking it and holding up because it kind of dovetailed perfectly together. But go ahead. Will you finish your thought? So you said you like the words, and I appreciate that. Because we put out, actually, for one of our performances uh, for Here TV um, in Coachella, and it was on a bunch of other platforms. But it was a performance of us singing Changing History, but an acoustic version that Jackie had written. And it's absolutely fucking gorgeous because the girl just has no bounds on her talent. So she wrote this beautiful piano piece. We sang it live. It was god awful gorgeous. And somebody reached out to us, which is one of our friends, or her friend mainly, but I'd worked with before, um, and offered to record it for us. He said he had some great ideas. And we were like, okay. Like, we can't say no to that. So before we knew it, a couple of days later, we were in his studio. We recorded it. He played, he like messed around with it, added a bunch of orchestration. It is probably one of the most beautiful songs I've ever heard in my entire career. And that's not because I wrote it. It's because Jackie wrote it and she wrote the piano and there's violas and there's violins and there's bass. And there's, it's just like, it's the most raw thing I've ever heard. I don't know. It's just beautiful. And I can't tell you how exciting that was to hear. I can't even listen to it without crying um, because I'm like, I can't believe this exists. So the, the, the birth child of that birth child is headed your way. We're actually filming a video for it on Sunday, a nice social distancing video of this nice. song. And then we're, we're going to release it this month, I hope. Fingers crossed. God, I hope. Um, and it's going to be absolutely, I don't know, incredible. I'm really excited, as you can tell. The song is amazing. I'm loving that we just get to dedicate more music to, the, to not just Pride, but to the movement that matter. And then we just get to share beautiful, beautiful music. And like you said, most you like the live, the original, because it was a little broken down and a little more acoustic. This song is nothing but acoustic. <laughs> this is the most acoustic nice. song you will ever find of me. And it's amazing. <laughs> Joey Suarez, you're amazing. I'm so excited for you. And this is going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to this. Now you've, you've wetted my whistle, as they say, my friend. I'm looking forward to this. <laughs> Very exciting. Me too. Thank you. Thank All you. right. Well, my friend, we serious. got. Oh, I am. You got to tell you. All right. Well, we got to start wrapping it up here. I promise we'll get you out of here on time. Let everyone know where they can follow you on social media and on TikTok. You got to watch this guy's TikTok. Lots of fun. Um, we we now know a little bit of the magic behind the brew here. But uh, share everyone where they can find you, Joey. You can find me on any platform. Anywhere, just look for the blue check mark next to the name Joey, J-O-E-Y-W-S-U-A-R-E-Z, Suarez. I know I look white, but that is the right guy. Thank you guys so much. It means the world for having me. Well, it's been my absolute pleasure. And you have to come back when this world tour gets ready to kick off for real this time because it's going to happen. I just know it. And uh, I'm looking forward to anything new you got. Come back on the show and share it, my friend. That means the world, Scott. Thank you so much. You have a wonderful day. And everybody, I hope you have a wonderful weekend and week. All right. Stay on the line for me, Joey. Guys, we're going to play out with, as I said, my favorite song on here. And when we come back, I'll have a brand new guest for us to talk to. You're listening to the Leftist Trade Show right here on the Leftist Trade Radio Network. Thank you.
And then since it's Tuesday, on our second Tuesday of every month, we have our West Hollywood Entertainment Minute with Enoch Miller, the Empress of WeHo, will be on with me to kick things off tomorrow night. And for the rest of the week, we've got some great shows coming at you. Sam Harris from Star Search has a brand-new book out. He'll be here Wednesday along with our really good friends, Terry Ray and Mel England, whose hit play Electricity will be streaming live the next three Thursdays. So we're going to talk all about that on Wednesday night. Then on Thursday, we're going to have Ryan Casada on and speaking with um, so many other great people the rest of the week, uh, finishing with, um, oh, God, I can't even have all this. I don't have this in front of me, but it's going to be some great shows the rest of the week. So thanks for tuning in to Let's Trade Show. Again, if you're uh, not getting the notifications, be sure to go to your favorite podcast distributor and hit subscribe. You'll always get a notification when we have a new episode up. Check it out. See if it's some interviews you want to hear. If it is and you like it, please give a five-star rating. That always boosts us up in the search rankings so more people can find us. We're up to about thirty-five to 40,000 listeners per episode now, which I'm very excited about. Thanks to all of you. And we are going to keep doing this for many, many moons to come, I hope. So thanks for being part of the Left of Straight family. Be sure to follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Left of Straight and my interns at Left of Straight Radio. And we will see you next time, everyone. Bye-bye. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.